All right, welcome. It is the latest installment to the Run to Daylight podcast. I still miss my old music uh, from going from uh, to, to video, but I'm really happy to be here. We have a special guest today, Scott Barrett. Uh, most of you should know him. Uh, he has done kind of a penultimate best ball article, and there's no way to really do it justice. But one way I am trying to do it justice is by not having any other guests on this week, and we're going to go as deep as uh, Scott's willing to go and as the questions last. Uh, I highly, highly, if you want to play BB10s, and a lot of it applies to anywhere else that you're going to play, I highly recommend that you uh, read this article. You can find it over at Fantasy Points, where Scott does his work these days, former of Pro Football Focus, former of a few other places, uh, very well known in the industry, and we appreciate having him on. I also want to thank our partners over at the FFPC. Um, they announced some pretty exciting news this week, which is that they I'm just trying to there we go. Uh, they uh, have a new partnership with Rotoviz. Uh, so there are new dynasty leagues starting now. They're super flex, three wide receivers instead of two. Um, more information is going to come out, uh, but uh, go to myffpc.com and check out the new information. I'm currently in seven $35 best balls over at the FFPC. Um, I really had lost kind of my desire to do the best ball tens, but after reading Scott's article, I, I feel compelled to go back into it um, my partner, Eric Moody is here. Eric, how are you? No, things are going well. Yeah. Doing, uh, doing really good. You know, happy Friday to everyone that's, uh, that's watching. So we're heading into the weekend, a lot of NFL news out there, you know, around, uh, pro days and people getting excited over uh, 40 times. So, you know, it's really good stuff. And I'll just echo, uh, Scott, you know, with what Todd said. Yeah. Very happy to have you uh, on with us here this evening. Uh, been a huge fan of your work for years and, uh, really looking forward to diving into this uh, this best ball article that you have over at Fantasy Points. Lots of really useful information for, you know, the diehards and veterans out there. Uh, likewise with those kind of, you know, put some toes in the water in best ball. So looking forward to it, my friend. Yeah. And I, I just want to, you know, give Scott an opportunity, Scott. What, you know, Fantasy Points is still one of the newer big sites out on the market. Uh, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about Fantasy Points who is there with you and the kind of work that you're going to be doing there? Yeah, guys, thanks for having me on. Um, really excited to talk some best ball for you. This is the first article I did this off season. And it's just, you know, Todd, I know you're really experienced. I'm really experienced. This is something I've talked about, thought about for a really long time. You know, Mike Beers played a influential role in this article. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's, it's just right before his death. Oh, I mean, it's it's sad to hear he's leaving. That's unbelievable. Is, but, you know, his influence is massive. Um, okay. And, yeah, so, you know, I, I love best ball. It's a love, and it was really just a way to, you know, distill, combine my thoughts, my years of experience and research, really looking hard at the win rates and things like that. But this is just something you can find at fantasypoints.com. <clears throat> John Hansen. Graham Barfield, Joe Dolan, Tom Brawley, Greg Cassell, Adam Kaplan, uh, John Proctor in the DFS season. You know, we all 
came together, combined forces to create what we hope to be, you know, a, a, a true ju juggernaut in this industry. And I think I think we've seen that so far. Uh, what to be on the lookout for? Uh, I've spent the past, I don't know, eight weeks, nine weeks, uh, working on my rookie prospect model. Uh, all those articles are done, and, and the last one, wide receiver, is going to be up on Monday. Greg Cassell's draft guide is beautiful. We have an app for it. Uh, definitely buy that, download that. And, uh, and yeah, we're going to crush DFS season like we did last year. John Proctor and I and Graham Barfield, Wes Huber, doing some of the best work in the industry. Uh, and so it's just an exciting time. And, and uh, you know, best ball season, dynasty season's probably my my favorite draft season favorite time of the year it's 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 slow enough or you're not killing yourself but it's you know it's fun work uh so yeah definitely check out everything we have over at fantasypoints.com yep i mean it really is like a murderer's row of uh fantasy analysts over at fantasy points uh check them out over there um, I was a subscriber to John Hansen's Guru back from starting around 2000. Um, and Adam Kaplan uh, used to be with Steve Cohen at Pro Football News and Injury Report. And they had the most cutting edge stuff of the day. I won a lot of championships. And my favorite thing every year was calling uh, Adam Kaplan. He would take the phone call and we would sit on the phone. I did this three or four years and he would sit on the phone with me for an hour Nicest guy you can imagine. Uh, talk fantasy sports. You know, just I was giving him a $30 subscription and he would sit there and talk, you know, sports with um This truly is a breast ball primer that's good for anyone from no experience to fully experienced. Correct, Scott? You designed it that way? Yeah, that's, that's what I was shooting for. It's like, okay, you've never played basketball you don't even know what it is and i'll explain all that to you but then also immediately get your skill level up to that of you know a pro who's done you know 500 drafts and and i really think basketball is the easiest most exploitable format the, the most easy to profit from consistently uh and so it's you know you know writing this article i think you know for for the pros like yourself todd i think some of it's like a little boring and redundant, especially in the beginning, but I, I made sure it wasn't over the head of anyone. Uh, so I really do think if you just like read this, you take notes, you learn the lessons. Uh, there's no reason why, why you can't be a profitable player this year. And I think extremely profitable player, I think more so than in any other format, you know, knowing who to draft is less important in best ball than knowing what positions to draft where and why, and just, you know, compounding and maximizing those edges, uh, you know, really at the end of the day, you know, no reason why you can't be a highly profitable player. Correct. It basically, uh, you know, if you, if you do the things in this article, I think your baseline should be breaking even to being slightly profitable. And then if you are good and you get some luck uh, with the, and you manage your exposures uh, the way that you probably should, Everyone has different risk uh, levels, and we'll do some uh, articles on on that. Uh, but um, I, I, I agree with you. I think this gets you a good baseline, where it's almost hard to lose if you if you really put your your mind to what's in this article. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, but I think probably my biggest takeaway from it, Scott, was uh, 
especially for someone that that's newer that's reading this article like in best balls would be i'm like you really do a great job of building like guardrails so that the player can operate in to be successful so i, I think that's huge i know we'll dive a little bit deeper into that here in a moment yeah it's sort of just a here's a list of rules you follow those rules uh and you're going to be a profitable player i, I know that's something Mike Beers has been working on just in terms of, you know, uh, uh, you know, coding to have a, a bot, like a computer draft teams just ba based on these specific rules. And it's going to be, you know, su more successful than the average player for sure. And then, you know, you incorporate, if you're an average, like, you know, a novice, just draft off of our rankings and using these rules, like that's, I think, just a massive edge. Yeah, Absolutely. All right, Todd, let's dive in. All right. Um, all right. So um, what are, you know, we talk about best ball and how the edges are there. What are the key strategy differences you find between best ball and standard start sit leagues? I think um, for the newer players, that's important to understand. Yeah, I mean, there's there's really a lot of them. Uh, so in best ball, certain players are, are far more valuable than in a typical start sit league, like a high weekly ceiling. Uh, it doesn't really matter much at all. Uh, nowhere near as much as predictability or week-to-week -week consistency because you need those guys who are consistent, predictable, because you're going to be starting them each week. There's no, you know, there's no start sit, just your highest scoring players each week get slid into your, your starting lineup. So a high weekly ceiling, you really want those boom games in, in best ball. It doesn't matter nearly as much in start sit. So that's that's one thing I talked about, you know, T.Y. Hilton versus Jarvis Landry. Like, T.Y. Hilton was borderline unusable and start said he minus EV every single week you rostered in. Uh, and then Jarvis uh, Jarvis Landry, you know, very consistent. But uh, their win rates were, weren't too different at all, and especially when you factor in ADP and, like, the total points at the end of the season. Um, and then um, full season upside – matters a little bit less safety uh, matters significantly more. So like Nicole Hardman, the reasoning to draft a Nicole Hardman and start sit is like, okay, imagine Sammy Watkins or T Tyreek Hill gets hurt. Um, you know, this guy could just explode as the number three uh, or number two passing option in the Kansas city chiefs offense. So like what, what, what are the range of outcomes for him? It's like 15%. He's a league winner but then 85%, he's basically nothing. And then you look at Cole Beasley, super safe. You know, the chances of him being wide receiver three, yeah, top 36, top 40, uh, top uh, 48 wide receiver, let's say is 60%, 65%, but the chances of him being a league winner are like 1%. I mean, he kind of was a league winner, especially in best ball, like amazing season. But He, he outperformed his uh... – he outperformed his reasonable expectations and, and, you know, so he gave you a ceiling you didn't expect to go with that floor. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just saying like that aside, like, like pretend right, that didn't right. even happen, but it's just talking Tangle about, player. yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you just rack up those points in best ball. So that, so that matters a lot, but in start sit, you know, where you have the safety net of the waiver wire, you should be, you know, taking these swing for the fences type players uh, like upside is everything, mm -hmm. but in best ball, you can really get away with grabbing just a bunch of ADP beaters, guys who just merely beat their ADP rather than, you know, the, uh, you know, the players who are just, you know, 
Lamar Jackson two years ago, just far and away destroying everyone else. <laughs> Justin Jefferson, we could say. Yeah. Um, certain positions are also um, going to be worth a lot more, less in basketball. Quarterbacks and wide receivers worth a lot more. High-end tight ends worth a lot more. Mm-hmm. High-end running backs, I think, are worth a lot less. I mean, there's there's some debate there, but but I, I think high-end running backs are worth significantly less in basketball. And then drafting the right number of players at each position is so important. Uh, maybe even more than drafting like the right players, knowing who to draft, being in a, a guy who has like access to the best rankings, which I'd say humbly are our rankings or just like a really good drafter. You have to know what positions to draft and where. Yeah, no, all really, uh, all really good points, especially what you mentioned about like with running backs, you just kind of thinking like post free agency. I'm like, there's a, a, a like four really nice kind of intriguing like running back values that are out there. You know, guys like Philip Lindsay. You know, the situation that he's in in Houston. Uh, you know, Chris Carson's another one. You know, going back to he's, Seattle. He's my most owned uh, yeah running back right now, Philip Lindsay. Yeah, he was just too cheap. He was just yeah. too cheap. I'm like, you, you got to snatch him, uh, snatch him up, and then uh, you know, Kenyon Drake's another one too. I know his ADP along with uh, Josh Jacobs is trended down, but he's obviously the cheaper guy. And then you got Mike Davis. Uh, you know, he has another opportunity like ahead of him. So no, really good stuff. I'm just thinking what the running back values got. So another question for you. I guess um, with our show, I know in our fans, listeners, I know we talk a lot about, about win rate, you know, as a measurable, you know, that we take uh, very seriously. So what, what are your thoughts and perspective like on the importance of studying win rates? And what are some of the key takeaways you found uh, you know, from analyzing them? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's massively important. It played a major role in this article and just, you know, studying those and trying to come away with what is the optimal roster construction. Like, I, you know, at the end of the day, I concluded there, there's no such thing. But, I mean, there are these, you know, rules we can create, these these takeaways we have to, to make you a, a more – uh, profitable basketball player over time. Yep, I, I, I think so. And, uh, you know, you explained this a little bit already, but uh, talk about safety mattering more in best ball. Um, you know, because I've always felt like you, you do want those, like, home run hitting wide receivers, you know, the John Browns, the – you know, especially late in the draft, I, I've tended to go for, you know, the guys who get the long touchdowns. Um, once I get my four wide receivers, my fifth, sixth, and seventh a lot of times are are, are those. But you're talking more about safety. Can you just explain that a little more? Yeah, so it's important uh, to, to note how I'm kind of defining these terms. I, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, week-to-week upside and then season-long upside, and the week-to-week safety, and season-long safety. And there's there's kind of two distinct points there. There so you like, go. That makes a- sense. Yeah. Alan Lazard is – his standard deviation week-to-week is going to be extremely high. Larry Fitzgerald's extremely low. Um, you know, similar ADP, similar total points. Lazard far more – much higher win rate in best ball because of those peak weeks. Those peak weeks are – are really important. And then just talking about what, what we were saying before, the range of outcomes for a Cole Beasley, like a Nicole Hardman. Hardman, you know, could be this massive full season league winner. We're not talking about a week winner so much, although he 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 does he is that archetype in contrast to to Beasley, but it's just, 
you know, no safety net of the waiver wire, but you could start add guys. Oh, maybe this guy, this free agent has good upside. So just racking up those total points, you know, those, you know, with Cole Beasley, you're going to get a hundred to 180 total points or more than that. Hardman. I mean, could be all over the place. Yeah. I think I can clarify it like this. Cause I, I do think there's a little bit of different terms going on. What you're talking about in safety is safety and role. The role that the player is going to have, he's going to be on the field and you, you can count on his role being safe, but then it, you still like someone who can hit peaks within that role. Uh, so just in terms of season long upside, I, I'm really talking about, you, you take no, a player for best ball, you, you, you know, like me, Cole Hardman, the biggest thing about him is his role wasn't secure. Right, we didn't know if he was going to be on the field enough to perform. Where Cole Beasley, we knew he would. Right, I just meant full season upside. So you, you take a player's uh, bear case outcome, bull case outcome, base case outcome, and in season long, bull case outcome matters way more than base case or bear case outcome. Where in best ball, you know, it's it's much closer. Maybe base case outcomes more important. But yeah, you're talking about role. Yeah, uncertainty of roles is going to play a, a major factor in creating those bold base bear case uh, projections. Fair enough. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So just out of curiosity, Scott, I'm like, what are I guess what are some types of players uh, that you consider less safe? Um. Yeah. So again, like looking at the format, like a committee running back mm-hmm. seems very unsafe in terms of projecting out carries and and targets Uh, then you have to factor in his upside like does he have any upside beyond the fact that his running back might get hurt um where in best ball you know that's something that doesn't really matter you can just like look at the total points at the end of the day and you're like that's fine he's starting in all of his best games and you know i can combine a naheem hines plus a jd mckissick as an RB2, just putting their production together and only their their best output games. Mm-hmm. And I could match like almost Aaron Jones, which is absurd. But you look in a start you're sit right. league, you're never going to get that because you're you're starting Naheem Hines. You think he has a good matchup or something. And like, you know, there was no predicting when a JD McKissick would have a, a boom game or a Naheem Hines would have a boom game. Mm-hmm. So the, the weeks you're starting them, they're averaging like 12 fantasy points per game. But in Fastball, that doesn't matter. It just starts for you. So you can really get away with something like that, which is why I talk about in this article, you know, I, I devalue running back pretty, pretty uh, egregiously. Yeah. And, and we'll get into that a little more. It's, it's something I've come a lot around, around a lot on this year. So last week we did an interview with Chris Allen, where we discussed optimal FFPC roster construction your articles on Fanball BB10 optimal lineup construction. One of the key things I like about your process is while it establishes guardrails for what some of the most optimal constructions are, you tailor your approach based on how the current draft your uh, your going in goes. Um, I'll, I'll I'll point to something that I really like that you did, which is when to take the quarterback right based on when you take your first one, when you should take your second one. Um, 
I think that is, um, you know, w- uh, what are the main guardrails that someone should have when they do BB tens? Yeah, Quiet. so this is Screw something. That question up. Go that's ahead. okay. This this is something that uh, uh, Mike Beers talks about a lot: conditional roster construction, conditional roster optimization. Where, what is the optimal number of tight ends? Is it two? Is it three? You know, look at historical win rates. It's going to be either two or three, and it's going to be but, very close between them. Mm-hmm. Right, but I mean, you take Travis Kelsey in the first or second round you're only taking two tight ends and, you know, you're going to have a big edge in doing so. You don't, you don't, maybe you'll get, you know, Robert Tunyon to, you know, fill in the bye and then two weeks in the flex spot. Like that is all you need. Uh, so you don't need to take a third and, and that frees up valuable draft capital at the other positions. But I mean, if the first tight end you're taking is, I don't know, Irv Smith or, or someone lesser, you know, maybe it's three tight ends or four tight ends. You do not only draft two tight ends. So uh, just just looking within the context of the draft itself, it's important to, to make note of these points. But yeah, for the most part, you know, it's it's two or three quarterbacks, two or three defenses, two or three kickers, two or three tight ends. And then uh, what is it? Four to six running backs, seven to eight wide receivers. And then, I mean, you can even do a hyper fragile running back approach, which, which Mike Beers has played around with quite a bit, where you draft running backs in your first three rounds and then you don't draft another running back. And so it's like a hyper, hyper fragile team in that, you know, if one of those running backs gets hurt, you're done. But if they all stay healthy, you have really good chances of winning, but it, it, everything hinges upon that one point. So um, yeah, just, just different things to think about there. Yeah. I, I feel like one thing that people don't take into account, you know, and it doesn't matter if you're only doing one to two drafts, but you know, people feel like they have to, you know, the perfect example is, well, I have to have a third tight end, like you just said. You know, look, if tra- if you take Travis Kelsey in the first round and he gets hurt week one, that team is pretty much a loss no matter what. Um, so you, you're, you're, you know, you're making a bet with your early round players and then you build the rest of your lineup counting on that bet working because you're going to need that early round bet to work for the team to win most likely. Yeah, no, that's a pretty good point, you know, Todd, because like the players that you take, like in the early rounds of like best ball drafts, you know, for the most part, you know, to your, to your point are needed. If you want to take down the, the league, I'm like, you're going to need those studs. Uh, I guess many high volume best ball players, you know, still, I think make the mistake of, of not factoring in or baking in like fragility into their rosters uh, kind of based on this fact. I'm like, do you see that as being correct, Scott, or do you feel differently? No, that sounds about right. Okay. Um, yeah. At quarterback, it's important to get at least two of the top 15 quarterbacks. Would you agree? Uh, I mean, just generally as a rule that that seems to bear out. Um, and the reason why that makes sense. And, and like I said before, quarterback is, more valuable in best ball. And, and, you know, it's proven that over time you could just stream basically QB six to QB nine levels of production, just looking at quarterbacks who are owned in less than 50% of leagues and just riding through them week after week, uh, you know, very matchup uh, uh, 
vulnerable to matchups, uh, things like that. So, but you can't do that in best ball, obviously. And you, you can't pick anyone up like Justin Herbert was rostered in like 3% of leagues to start the year. Then he was one of the most valuable players at the position. You, you can't do that in best ball. And, and then the tiered, the tiered, the tier of usable, ideally 16 week starters is, is very small uh, in a best ball draft. You're going to see, you know, 36, 34 quarterbacks drafted in a start sit league, 12 teams, it's going to be like 18, but how many quarterbacks can you, can you do not have a young uh, quarterback breathing down their neck? Or if you have like two bad games might get benched. Uh, maybe there's only like 20 of those guys, 20, 24 of those guys, let's say. And so uh, it just makes the, those at the top end of the spectrum more valuable. Right. And also it's, it's also quarterback uh, scores the most points. And so that could play in a role as well, where, you know, you're just taking the highest score of each of the three each week. The, those, those points, you know, really add up over time. Yeah. It's, yeah. The, it's, it's the highest scoring position and it's also the position where there's the least drop off, um, you know, uh, but there is a drop off, like you said. Once you get toward the back end of the teens, uh, the role gets um, less safe. And um, you know, if he plays, he might put up fifteen to twenty points. But a lot of those guys on the back end get benched, and you can't count on them. Yeah, and even when the yeah. the the guy who comes in relief, like it, it's still a high parity position where you know those guys are still putting up good numbers. But you know, in best ball, those total points is what you really want. You really want quarterbacks who are, you know, ideally playing all 16 games barring injury. Yeah. Completely punting quarterback bad. Yeah. No, yeah. You'll, you'll, you'll find yourself in, uh, in trouble by doing that. You know, it's interesting looking at uh, like ADP, uh, especially in uh, FFPC leagues uh, right now, because you've got quarterbacks that are going so much earlier, like two or three rounds earlier than usual. Uh, have you done any FFPC drafts where you you've noticed that? And I guess what feedback or advice would you give to those that are watching on, on how to handle that? Yeah, I, I don't know. So the data says you shouldn't draft quarterbacks very early. You shouldn't be the first or second person to draft a quarterback. And part of that is just like ADP is least predictive with quarterbacks. It's proven to be least predictive than in comparison to running backs, wide receivers, tight ends. I think that's also sort of been like just kind of a fluky thing. Um, but I mean, in today's day and age, the, the era of the Konami code quarterback, yeah. I think it makes more sense to draft quarterbacks early than ever before and start sit. I'm still going to be, you know, more of a late round QB guy, but like, I mean, I do love these Konami code quarterbacks, uh, yeah. but in best ball. Yeah. It, I, I, I see nothing wrong with that. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, my feeling is that since all of them are going two to three rounds earlier, you have to adjust, right? You, you know, like you just can't go on last year's info and say, well, I'm not going to take my first one to the seventh round because the guy you got in the seventh round last year was Russell Wilson, right? The guy you're getting in the seventh round now is Joe Burrow or Trevor Lawrence, and there's a lot more risk there. Absolutely. So what I've been doing is I've been taking them in the order, you know, I'm taking them rounds earlier but I'm sticking to not taking the first guy, not taking the second guy, 
you know, taking the best of that first tier. Um, and, and to your point, Scott, a lot of times the guy who had a bad year last year is a top three guy the next year. A couple years ago, you know, Russell Wilson played through a leg injury, and I he was my number one don't uh, quarterback in like the eighth round. I uh, had over twenty percent, and and he wasn't hurt, and he had a great year. So I I do like to get one of the good quarterbacks, um, and I have to take them earlier than I want to, uh, because I do think if you wait and you're and you're drafting two guys, you know, in the tenth round, but they're the 19th and 23rd ADP guy, I think you're going to struggle. Yeah. yeah. Now's probably the chance to grab quarterbacks early, because as we know, you know, in August when the fish come out to play, those guys are like massively overvaluing quarterbacks. Like you'll see Patrick Mahomes in round one. So if you want exposure to these guys, you're, you're not going to get it, you know, later in the season, the off season. No, good point. Yeah. It's, it seems like, um, I guess like most players, like they want to get their running backs like early, like in often, especially in our BB10s. In fact, like the original theory on, on how to do NFL, uh, MFL 10s, excuse me, was to draft like a running back like early, like and often. But what I like about in this article is that you say that, you know, zero running back is a much better strategy. So tell us a little bit more about that, Scott. Yeah. So in fantasy football, the single most valuable position by a landslide is a high-end bell cow running back who contributes as both a runner and a receiver. They, they score the most points. Uh, they have the lowest floor, the highest ceiling, week-to-week and full season. They, uh, they're they incredibly consistent on a week-to-week basis, just, just massively valuable. And you see that in best ball too. The top three, let's say, highest-scoring running backs are typically going to be the, the three players – with the highest win rate. But then after that, things get sort of murky. And so this is something that really changed my approach uh, where I, you know, I was always drafting, you know, three to four running backs in the first six or seven rounds, let's say. And, you know, I talked to some pros, some best ball pros who do thousands of drafts per year. And I showed them the data I highlighted in this article. And they changed their approach. They're like, I'm at least going to mix this in now. I'm, I'm far less hesitant to go this route. And it's, it's the zero RB route, which has a, a phenomenal win rate. And it's, it's like, and why it is, is, is like what I said before, where you can take a Naheem Hines and a JD McKissick and only their, their boom games use that as basically your RB two, And you're even with Aaron Jones, but like exactly. you try and do that in a start sit league, you you're getting like 10 fantasy points per game. So mm-hmm. that's just a massive edge. And you, you really can go, quantity over quality in a way that you can't start sit but in a start sit i'm still bell cow or bust i'm still you know drafting prioritizing running backs in the first two to four rounds ideally the first two rounds um but but yeah in in a best ball you can really get away with quantity over quality guys like you know you're saying before chris carson philip Lindsay. i got actually really excited i i I saw Lynn Bowden had an RB tag and then MFL just changed yeah. it today. And I was like, Oh my God, could that be, could that be a cheat code? If he, if he's the starting slot, which I mean, was probably unlikely anyway, but yeah. yeah. No, yeah so, awesome. so one thing that I have, you know, kind of prided myself on is 
and it's the same thing in daily fantasy. You know, the crowd moves in a certain direction based on what happened last year. And the draft board is new every year. And, and it, it takes different forms and functions. So for me, what I'm doing this year in the FFPC, especially where I can draft seven running backs and I only need two starters, is if I get an early draft, you know, right now pretty much, you know, if you have picks one through eight, you have a very good chance of getting that stud running back that you were talking about, Scott. Um, if not, I'll, you know, I'll take a Devontae Adams or a Tyree Kill, or I'll get a running back in the second and sometimes even the third round. Like I, I, I've, I'm kind of higher on Miles Sanders than a lot of people. And picking him up mid-third round, I think, is I count him as my stud running back. But then I don't draft another running back till probably the 10th, 11th round in these FFPC drafts, especially this early where there's so much uncertainty and you can draft the rookies. And now I've got, you know, if uh, I was talking about fragility, if my stud running back that's on the team shits the bed, that team's probably not going to win. But if it does play if he does have the year uh and pay off that draft slot then i'm getting real high value at wide receiver quarterback and tight end in the next you know in nine out of the first 10 rounds and then all i need is one of those six uh other running backs to weekly kind of do what you were saying naheem hines i love those uh the receiving backs you know um and and then some you know, some rookies and things like that. But that's been my strategy. What do you think about that strategy? Yeah, I mean, uh, the recommended approach in this article is a one RB strategy and, you know, really neglecting the position for the next, you know, whatever it is, six or seven rounds or so. And, and, you know, you don't even need one of those guys to be a thing. You kind of just get away with just like 10 points a week games from, from guys who were, you know, otherwise, you know, borderline unrosterable and start sit. Yeah, if you if I, I feel like if if you if you get that one stud running back, dominate the rest of the first nine rounds and get just ten points a week out of the rest of your running backs, you got a real good shot at winning. It's that or or like Travis Kelsey in the first round. Like that those right now are far and away the the two most you know, proven via win rate strategies to to adopt. So yeah, yeah we'll I get mean, to tight end in a second. I agree with you. And 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 Kelsey, go ahead, uh, Eric. No, 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 you're fine. I'm just just agreeing. But quick side note, which uh, you know, I was like, I gotta ask Todd about this. Is uh, I'm like, are, are you are you wearing purple by chance? I am wearing. It's kind of more of a red than a purple, but it's okay. more purple there. Why? Yeah, I'm just wondering. I don't want to think Scott. I don't want Scott to think that we would like uh, try to make sure we wear the same wardrobe for each show. So oh, just, yeah, just no, mess yes. no, I'm just there, saying, there's yeah. way less planning that goes into this show than that. <laughs> All right, I, I just have to throw that out there. But uh, I know uh, Todd mentioned Scott, and we we're definitely going to hit on uh, on tight end here in a bit. But uh, I'm just curious. Um, I'm like, do you believe, you know, wide receivers are more valuable than best ball? And if the answer is yes, just give us a little bit more insight into that. Yeah, so they the are more valuable, and it, it kind of speaks to just that, you know, if running backs are less valuable, then, of course, wide receivers are going to be more valuable. The, you know, uh, 
bigger boom games. Uh, there, it's a more volatile position uh, in terms of week-to-week standard deviation, which lends itself well towards the best ball format. You know, ideally you want, you know, the teams with a wide receiver contributing the flex more than anything else. Like those are typically the best teams and what, what you see from winning teams. One thing I've noticed, uh, and I'd like to get your uh, opinion on is positional scarcity. You mentioned it in your article. And what I mean by positional scarcity is certain positions end up going way sooner than they should just because there's not enough good ones, right? And if you, you know, uh, running back, you was the example you used. You know, if you don't get the running backs you want in the first couple rounds, um, isn't it true that in the next rounds, like four to eight especially, you you know, uh, running backs move up simply because there aren't any? Um, Explain how positional scarcity can – uh, uh, make ADP off in value. Yeah. So, so scarcity determines how valuable something is. If, you know, if, if gold, you know, if every time it hailed, it hailed, you know, little bars of gold, like gold would be far less valuable than it currently is. And you kind of just see the same thing in fantasy football. So how many starting quarterbacks are there, you know, each week there's 32, if it's, not a week with buys, but how many quarterbacks can you start each week? You only start 12. And then how many running backs do you start each week? Minimum 24 up to 36 counting the flex, but how many running backs are there to to roster? I mean, how many teams have a running back by committee situation where both of those guys are not valuable? And then how many bell cow running backs are there who are heavily used as both a runner and receiver never come off the field, there's like six of them. So they, they score the most points. That's the reason why they're valuable. They're also a highly scarce position, you know, far less scarce than wide receiver, especially in, in start sit. But um, it's the same thing with tight ends, like the high, high end tight ends. How, how many good ones? There's three. And then everyone else is like the same and stinks, you know? So those, those big three tight ends are, are so valuable because they're scarce. Yep, and and then the other the other point to that is, what really ends up being what wins is the difference between the players you draft and the players that someone else drafts. So, you know, the reason that those tight ends are going so early is because there is such a huge drop off. The reason, you know, those top six seven running backs who we know are studs are going in the first eight or nine picks is because we know the difference between those guys and the running backs that are going to be drafted later is huge. Um, So, you know, that's why it's important to take value throughout the draft and not get caught in the positional scarcity um, shell game where you say, oh, man, I got to get a a running back. I've got to get a running back now. I've got to get two tight ends now. Well, you know what? If you're if you're bleeding value at eight, you know when you're taking them, you, you might as well just wait to. You know, you're not gonna. You know, if you take your tight end in the tenth round and it's someone, you know, you just missed the tight end run. Let's say, you know, you might as well wait a little longer because you can't afford to. You'll bleed less value dropping from the number 
18 tight end to the number 24 than you will from, you know, the player that's available otherwise there. I don't know if I said that right, but um, I, I don't know that people always think of it that way, Scott. Makes sense to me. Yeah. Now, it, it's just fascinating because um, I'm always fascinated, I would say, by, like, people's decisions, like, in drafts. I'm like, the parallels to me are, like, eerily similar to, like, with, with investing. You know, people don't always make, like, the, the right decisions, you know, kind of based on the circumstances and other factors. So it sounds like from that dialogue, like when it comes like the tight end, I'm like, you mentioned the big three, Scott. So I had two questions for you. This is the first of first of two. I'm like, with your research that you've done, I'm like, does it does it show that, hey, taking a tight end early, I'm like, is the, is the right way to go? Yeah. So okay. far and away, yeah. Um, to be fair, I mean, there it's also been – like I said, you know, ADP has been bad at predicting mm-hmm. uh, quarterback. I, th- I think ADP hasn't gotten the QB one right in like 12 years, something crazy like that. But yeah. ADP has been pretty good with the quarterback, you know, just Kelsey being a stud. Ertz flamed out last year, but he was pretty consistent. Waller and, and Kittle, you know, fa- fairly consistent ground for a large stretch within our sample. But yeah, the big advantage there is, mm-hmm. well, first of all, Kelsey – had the highest win rate of any player in baseball last year. And a big reason why is he outproduced the tight end three, tight end four, and tight end five on his own. Factor in the bye week was more valuable. And then what's the what's the draft capital there? You spent a second round pick, but you would have to spend the six, seven, eight. ADP hasn't been good at predicting tight ends out after, you know, the first five rounds or so. Those guys have had a lot of misses, but even if you got it right, Kelsey blew yeah. them far and away out of the water. And then the added bonus in drafting at Kelsey is you don't have to draft another one. Like I said, he just beat all those guys. Yeah. That's just one guy. You don't need to draft another one. And if you do, he can contribute to the flex spot. So uh, it saves you some value in terms of draft capital. And then it's just, uh, yeah, I, I referred to the tight end position as like, you know, massive income inequality where the, the, a bunch of peasants are ruled by, you know, this tier of our oligarchs that consist of George Kittle, Darren Waller, Travis Kelsey, maybe Kyle Pitts at some point. And so uh, just massive value there because the, the tier drop off, you're going from, you know, 21 fantasy points per game and Kelsey who's putting up like wide, wide receiver three numbers at the tight end position, which is crazy. Yeah. So yeah. the tight end four who is putting up like 13 fantasy points per game, that's, you know, nothing and basically in line with what the tight end 10 is doing. So, yeah, no, that's just a good point. Go ahead. So, Ty. so Kelsey, um, where's Kelsey going right now in BB 10? Cause in, um, in, in FFPC, he's going three or four, sometimes two, in, in, number two and Kittle and Waller are going at the end of the first round. Where are those guys going in BB 10s? Yeah. So that's interesting is FFPC is tight end premium. And uh, best ball ten is not, but I mean, he last I checked, he was going the basically the exact same spot, and I, I've taken him super early. I, I think he should be the first non-running back off the board, and then it's just basically, you know, where are you breaking breaking that tier after McCaffrey, Dalvin, Kamara, Barkley, Henry, uh, Zeke, and, and Barkley. I mean, Barkley. I think you know, I'm a Giant fan. I think Barkley's riskier than people are, uh, you know, 
they, they still have offensive line problems, and he's coming off an ACL. I've got him a couple uh, a couple picks later than some of the other guys do. Um, yeah, so so you feel that uh, another thing that really bumped up Kelsey's ADP last year was the fact that Kittle got hurt, right? I mean, his win rate. You know, Kittle plays and 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 competes with him. I think that would have cut into um, his win rate a little bit. But I I do agree that you, you know these guys are cheat codes, and um, I want to talk a little bit about stacking. Uh, you mentioned it in your article. People, you know, especially in the tournaments, people tend to really like sell out for for stacking and i get it in a tournament for me in a normal best ball i use stacking as only a tiebreaker so if i've got a group of five or six guys in a tier i'll look and i'll see if there's a stack opportunity and if so that helps me to break the tie um is that kind of your philosophy as well thinking that people uh you do mention it in the article that people overstack yeah, the, the data is just doesn't really suggest there's much of a benefit there. I do think if you're in like the DraftKings best ball millionaire maker, yeah, that makes sense. You know, like if you if you stacked, let's say, you know, the Mahomes in his, you know, breakout sophomore season, then, you you know, you're better positioned to win all the money and you're, you're crushing everyone else. Like if, if there was a DraftKings best ball millionaire maker that year, I think like the top 18 teams would just be Kansas city stacks. Right. Uh, but you know, in a best ball town and an FFPC, their, their stats say there's, there's not much of a benefit there. Sure. I know we talked uh, earlier, Scott, about a uh, positional uh, fragility. Uh, I think it's important. You know, I think when we discuss like, you know, handcuffing, uh, especially if like, if you're doing uh, like volume, like we talked about early running back, you know, if that running back gets hurt, I'm like, hey, that's going to blow up your team. It's going to be very difficult to overcome that, uh, even if you somehow correctly identify like the backup and draft them. Uh, but as far as like with your research, I'm like, what does it show about handcuffing running backs in, in uh, best ball? Yeah, that's a mistake. I mean, going into it, the odds aren't in your favor. You have to be, you have to finish first out of 12 teams, right? So odds aren't aren't really in your favor you need to be more preoccupied more focused on upside than safety and, and what that is that's basically you're taking out an insurance policy you're, you're costing yourself something every single week you're taking fewer points for you know the safety well i have one of the two guys no matter what uh so you're just better off avoiding that you know t- taking you know instead of taking the backup for your RB1, take the backup for someone else's RB1. It gives yourself more upside. Yeah, no, that, that's a good point because it kind of ties into what we were talking about earlier, like with the, like the zero running back strategy. I'm like, it, it, is, it is truly viable if executed like the, the right way. What I've just noticed from like a lot of people who aren't like big fans of it, uh, I think the issue is that they're, they're executing it like incorrectly. So I, I appreciate what you said earlier about giving – are you know those that are watching like insight into you know here are some of the characteristics of specific running backs that you should target in these committees because to your point hey it's all about upside and you really are kind of cutting your team off at the knees by let me just lock up the backfield while you're giving up an opportunity elsewhere so no really good stuff yeah yeah because if you have a handcuff let's say kamara 
Latavius Murray. It's it's going to be very rare for both of those guys to go off. But yeah. you know, you take a handcuff on another team. That's that's certainly possible. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and 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 it, that ties back to the point I was trying to make earlier about fragility. Um, you know, your leverage off of your stud running back getting hurt is all the drafts where you didn't draft that running back, right? You're trying to get a 10 to 15%, you know, a 15% win rate. Um, you know, if your stud running back goes down, um, you know, the, the, by far the, win, the worst win rates every year are the injured running backs drafted in the first two rounds, uh, 2 to 4%. So the chance that a backup's going to come in and help you to win is pretty small. Um, so the key is to think of the, your your leverage is all the drafts you don't have that guy, which leads into my next question about exposure. Um, you know, if you've got twelve percent Alvin Kamara, uh, you know the only way I draft a backup is if he has standalone value. Um. And then it's almost by accident just because he's the best guy on the board. But um, talk, talk to me a little bit about exposure, Scott. Um, I, I find that's the second most important thing if you're going to do a lot of drafts. Um, how, how, do you, how do you personally handle exposure? Yeah, so I talked to a lot of the pros about this, and they were kind of in consensus. You really want to be about even to the field, uh, especially early on in your draft, you know, you don't want to be too high or too low on anyone. And you really want to, that you'll make up that ground. Your edge is going to be out drafting everyone in the later rounds, you know, nailing the late round sleepers like a Brandon Ayuk when he was going the 18th round pre NFL draft and perfecting, you know, your roster construction. That's, that's where you're going to win. And, you know, just looking into the data, I mean, that, that seems clear enough. Like imagine you thought, you know, Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley were by far the best two picks. Guess what? Those guys hurt you far more than Travis Kelsey or anyone else could have helped you. It was basically impossible to win with either of those guys. I I think like only six teams won with, you know, Saquon Barkley all the last year, just like so impossible. Uh, And then, you know, you injuries happen. It's just a matter of fact that it's, it's totally driven on luck. So yeah, why not just kind of be even on the field? If you really like someone, bump it up 5%. If you really dislike someone, lower at 5%. But then, you know, the, the final rounds of the draft, let's say, you know, Philip Lindsay is your guy. Yeah, sure. You can go, I don't know, 25% exposure to him. But where if he's if he's getting drafted late enough, late enough it's not really going to hurt you. It's funny that you mentioned 25% because – like I said, the last two years, I, I broke my own rules and paid for it. My two previous years were one, one year I had like a 21% win rate, the following year like a 15, 16%. I didn't, in best ball tens, I didn't own one player more than 23%. That was, that was the most I owned on a guy. Um, so, you know, and that's something Mike Beers and I talked a lot about. Because he, he, he was like, really? You really won with that kind of uh, exposure? And I, I think, uh, you know, it balances what Scott's saying here. Yeah. No, good stuff. So something else that's key, you know, knowing when to draft uh, is it, very important. Just out of curiosity, I'm like, when do you like to draft most of your teams, Scott? Um, 
I don't know. I like this this point in time just because I feel like I have a much better read on the rookies than anyone else, and this is the time to grab them. That's where the value is. Uh, Elijah Moore, every single draft, just do it. Thank me later. He's mm-hmm. he's awesome. Going undrafted in best ball tens. Majority. Who did you just mention? Elijah Moore, Ole Miss slot wide receiver. Yeah, um, I didn't hear the name. I I uh, go ahead. I got a couple. Uh, but your best win rate is going to be in August. That's just proven to be, you know, I mean, I I smash August. Aaron H smashes August. All the best players smash. That's when the fish come out. So, you know, you've been keeping track of ADP, paying attention, knowing all the news, uh, reading beat writer reports, things like that. And then the, the fish come out and draft Patrick Mahomes in the first round. So yeah. uh, that's going to be your most profitable time to, to draft. But I, I do like this, this time quite a bit. Yeah, this is yeah. my favorite time of the year. Um, I feel I have the biggest edge because this is the time of year where you can use uh, a different type of logic and hopefully figure out things. You know, there's nothing better than going in, you know, looking at the Rotoviz tools in August and seeing a lot of green on the right where, um, you know, a guy that you were loading up on in, in, in this time of year, like for me right now, two guys I'm loading up on in FFPC. One is Travis Volgum in like the 27th, 28th round. He played fabulous last year, uh, showed a lot of spark. Now you got a new coaching staff um, and you at least got a shot that they're, and Jeffries is gone. And, you know, maybe they draft someone in the first round, maybe they don't, but he's like a free square to me. And uh, a rookie I like is Kylan Hill. Uh, I liked his tape a lot. I, you know, I'm getting him 22nd to 25th round. Um, you know, I, nothing makes you feel better than looking at those guys. They lock in jobs, and now they're going in the 12th, 13th round come uh, best ball season. Uh, who are a couple other guys? You know, Elijah Moore is a good name. I haven't watched him yet, and that's my fault. But uh, give us one or two other names, Scott. Yeah, I don't know. I have to look back at my exposures. Uh I was, you know, right after I wrote this article, I was just like, you know, really feeling it. I was crushing it. Sure. And then like the last four drafts I did, I just like timed out repeatedly. And I, so I took a quick break from it. You just cannot time out. It's just, it it absolutely destroys you. Not only do you get a guy you didn't want, but it also messes with the, you know, the roster construction you had planned. So that really hurt. Uh, My, my, the guy I had on every single team besides Elijah Moore, was Brandon Cooks. I just thought he was like massive, massive That's value wide receiver, yes. like 41 by ADP. And you, he had exclude Indianapolis, which sells out to stop opposing wide receiver ones. He hit 80 plus receiving yards and like nine of his last 10 games, like on numbers off the charts. That's, you know, uh, Deshaun Watson's guy. There's no Will Fuller. You know, they're going to be playing from behind. And now this whole mess with, with Deshaun Watson is, you know, you know, I, my reasoning was like, okay, Watson's still going QB three. Like, uh, I'll avoid that. But Brandon Cook shouldn't be going this low. And you know, now it's now it's a bit riskier. But he was the guy I was drafting in every single on every single team. Yeah, for some reason I don't get my and I've tried everything, and that's another reason I stopped doing BB tens. Is their um, their email uh, prompts are going into spam, and I can't get it to stop. Um, uh, and I, I don't get it. Uh, so that's another reason. Because you're right. You time out once and get one player. You know, now you've got four quarterbacks. And I mean, 
you know, four quarterbacks or four tight ends, or uh, the worst one is getting like the sixth running back in a in a BB ten where you really only wanted five. Uh, it it you're you're pretty much dead. Um, I'm gonna let Eric. Um, I think we're at the last question. Um, I'm going well. I'll take this one, Eric. Finally, you sum up with a core belief of mine. One of the key things you talk about in your summary is let the first five, six rounds come to you. Um, explain why that's so important. Yeah, I mean, that's just what the pros do. It's, it's kind of like what I said. Uh, you know, another, I mean, a great obvious tip is grab the ADP beaters. I mean, the, uh, the ADP values. If you see a guy, even if you don't like him, fall like, two to three rounds, you should just draft him. What it does is it lowers the average cost of your portfolio uh, over time, just constantly grabbing those those ADP values. And like I said, you don't want to be too over or underexposed to anyone. So so definitely do try and grab those guys. And that's, that's what the pros do. They worry about roster construction. But they're not going to worry about it too much after the first six rounds beyond something like a you know one, one RB or modified RB, it's called is ideal or, or grab a Kelsey, something like that. Eric, you have any other questions for Scott? Yeah, I, I had one one question that we can even pivot to um, like different positions, you know, whether it's quarterback, running back, wide receiver, you know, or tight ends. Uh, so I know we're in a, a really unique part of the year. Uh, free agency is taking place. I know we've got the draft coming up to see where the rookies land. But I'm just curious, uh, Scott, kind of like on the fly, I'm like, who are like some running backs and wide receivers that you're already sold on, you know, for the 2021 season that come to mind? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. You kind of caught me off guard. So, so like I said, I was, I, you know, knee deep in best ball stuff for mm-hmm. this article took for forever, but the, yeah. for the past, you know, nine weeks, I've been working on my rookie prospect models and haven't yeah. really been paying attention to gotcha. ADP, but I, I do know last time I checked, yeah. Uh, Javante Williams looked to me like a tremendous value. You just look at his odds of being the first running back drafted. I don't think he will be. I don't know that I think he should be. Yeah. Uh, but it, the guys he's being drafted around last time, you know, I was doing basketball drafts. It's like David Johnson. And it's like, what are Javante's chances of being a workhorse running yeah. back in comparison to David Johnson? And Elijah Moore was another player I brought up. I think he has massive PPR cheat code upside. I think him specifically – uniquely is going to be an immediate year one contributor. I think there's a good chance he gets drafted in round one to a competitive team late in the first round. Yeah. Uh, so I think he could be an absolute superstar. I think Kyle Pitts, I think he should be drafted higher than any rookie tight end ever. I don't know that he should be, you know, someone I'm prioritizing, but I do know he's, he's unique enough to, to break that mold. The quarterbacks, I think there's great value and, all of the top five quarterbacks, I think they're all going to be starters. I think, you know, there's talks about Trey Lance maybe needing time to develop, Justin Fields. I don't know. I, I, I kind of just don't see that. I just see too many QB needy teams in the NFL right now. And even for Mac Jones, like I don't see him falling beyond Chicago and being a starter there, Denver and mm-hmm. being a starter there, New England and being a starter there. So, so there's great value there, and especially in someone like a Trey Lance or Justin Fields who I think has – you know, really good Konami code upside. So, yeah. and this is just proven to be over time, like you draft the rookies now and then it just pays yeah. dividends. You're going to miss on some guys, but mm-hmm. on average, 
you're going to hit on more than you're not. And you're in, in two, two months, you know, the, the draft's done. And then all these guys are five to six, seven rounds more expensive. Yeah. And, and that's why I was, uh, I was saying that, uh, I like drafting so much. So you've been working a lot on your rookie model. Um, one guy that I, didn't watch until just now because Matt Waldman made him his number one running back as Trey Sermon. Um, that was a bit of a surprise for me, um, you know. But I like Matt's stuff. Um, how how does Trey Sermon come out if you've gotten that far with your rookie model? Yeah, my model didn't like him. It 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 didn't like him at all. And, and the reason for that is just a lack of production, and that's something that's going to be inherent in any statistical model. What I do with my analysis is I, I kind of just I don't blindly follow my model. I just talk about why it ranks these players where they rank and, and just, you know, go into things. And in my own rankings, I have Sermon RB4. Wes Huber has an RB3. He loves Sermon. And it's just, you know, but he never had over 1,000 yards in a single season. And there's concerns. And you, there, there, you could just say, oh, well, you know, he dealt with injuries. You know, he was on stacked teams, blah, blah, blah. But you could also say, hey, Ramondre Stevenson, is in this draft as well, Juco transfer. And he had Trey Sermon running for his life, transferring to Ohio State. Um, but no, you see you, you see it all on tape. You see the flashes. I mean, his last two healthy games at Ohio State, he had like 500 rushing yards, and he was that the cut, team's that, he, He's got he, that, his ability to do that cutback and run against the grain. He, <laughs> he, he's just his feet. He makes that turn, and he's – uh, you know that that is less profitable in the pros, but it still works. Um, I, I can't say I love the. T- you know, I watched a little tape. A lot of it is he's running through some damn big holes. But I got. I you know, I respect Matt's process, and that's why I I, I wanted to get more information. Um, what about? Um, a guy that I liked at first, and the more I watched him, I like him less. Jamar Jefferson. Any thoughts there? Uh, my model liked him. Uh, you know, really good age-adjusted production. I didn't love him, and then you know the that abysmal pro day happened, so he's going to fall even further in my ranks. He's he's not someone I'm targeting. Honestly, I I really don't like this running back class too much after the big three. I think Kenny Gainwell has some good, you know. Uh, upside in, in, in the same way that Antonio Gibson had tremendous upside this time last year. Um, he, he's just one of those swing for the fences, home run picks, uh, you know, Gibson hit, but I mean, what were his real chances of hitting in the way that he did like 25% Gainwell's yeah. probably somewhere around yeah. there. Uh, Michael Carter, I think, you know, could be an immediate uh, committee back. Uh, in a way that sort of Zach Moss was with a little bit more pass catching upside sermon. Yeah. I like sermon. I think that the concern with him is you know, he's supposedly not going to be a, uh, a round two guy, not going to be around three guys. So you run the risk. He, he lands somewhere like, you know, the giants or any, just like doesn't get any play. Uh, I'm kind of avoiding all those lesser tier running backs. I like Ramondre. Ramondre is interesting to me. Some other guys. Yeah, no, good stuff. Yeah, let, let's keep the dialogue going. Uh, you know, with the uh, with the draft, and you've been working on your on your model. I'll throw another name out uh, to you that I'm curious about your perspective on. Uh, how does the model view uh, Kay Johnson from uh, South Dakota State? 
Yeah, it it didn't like him it, because it doesn't like any small school wide receiver. It's just like the chances of those guys hitting just very low. And so the model is just going to be like, all right, all you guys, we're going to re- basically remove you from the sample. Uh, but it liked Jalen Darden the most. Jalen Darden's really interesting. He had, uh, of the small school guys, he had like 118 receiving yards per game last year. More ridiculously, he had 2.2 receiving touchdowns per game which is the most by any wide receiver since at least 2000, maybe ever. How about the two big Alabama wide receivers? Yeah, uh, Devonta Smith is my pre-combine models wide receiver too. What I mean by that is just like statistically production efficiency wise, he is an elite prospect. You factor in the weight and the BMI, which you, you have to factor in is a concern. I don't think he's going to fall out of my top three, but I, I think he's probably going to fall at least from a CD lamb level prospect to, you know, a few tiers below, even if he is still my wide receiver two in this class. Um, and then Jalen Waddle. He, so he's tough. Most, most uh, models are going to miss on him just because the lack of raw production. And it's the same thing with Trey Sermon. You could say, Hey, if this guy's so good, why was he a backup for two years? Why was he fourth in routes run uh, for two years? I mean, Alabama has three round one, potential three top 15 round wide receivers on the team. And, you know, he's he's slot only. I, a lot of town evaluators think he's something more than that. I kind of don't. But, uh, I mean, J- Jerry Judy's two years older. He's their starting slot, so that's why he's the backup. But, yes, the lack of production wasn't there. My, my more basic model hated him. My more advanced model – Absolutely loved him. Depth adjusted yards per target over expectation. It's maybe my favorite stat I've ever created. And he is not only best, but he's best by a wide margin since at least 2014. Yards per route run. One of the best, most predictive stats there is. Best in the class. Top three in two of the past three seasons. Uh, elite speed. He, just on tape, he's, he's like a rich man's Henry Ruggs on the deep ball and contested catches. And, and very... Tyreek Hill in, in the way that he beats angles and just the, the raw speed uh, he possesses. So, so I like both of those guys a lot. They're both in my top five. That's awesome stuff. Uh, Eric, you have another question? If not, I got one. Okay. Um, my yeah, question, why don't you go ahead? Yeah, yeah. My, my question would be, that stat sounds fabulous, Scott. Um, who are some uh, already in the NFL guys? Do, do you do that uh, – that with uh, NFL guys and are there any sleepers that we should think about at any position? Uh, well, wide receivers that uh, we should think about that are on NFL teams now based on that stat. Uh, no, and it doesn't look at uh, NFL prospects. I've also, you know, maybe given away too much already The the article for wide receivers is going to be out on Monday. Tight okay. ends is done. You guys really got to see, the write-up for Kyle Pitts and running backs that came out last week. So, so be on the lookout for all that stuff. And, um, and tell everyone again how, where they can find you and, and uh, a little bit about the subscription. Um, obviously, this is some fantastic stuff and people should be joining. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Scott Barrett, DFB on Twitter. You can read all my work at fantasypoints.com. Also, just read Wes Huber's work. I got to get this guy more – uh, publicities. He doesn't do much on social media, but he's cranking out a bunch of rookie profiles in the same way that I, I kind of have been with my model, but just incredible work, you know, really like 
unrivaled work. This guy came out of nowhere and he just broke onto the scene in the fantasy industry and just absolutely killing it for us. So check that out. Check out Greg Cassell's draft guide. If you want the best, you know, film analyst in the game telling you which rookie prospects are his favorites and why, like just, just read that. And Wes contributed to that from a Debbie perspective. So check out everything we got going on at, at fantasypoints.com. That's great. I just, uh, I just followed Wes on Twitter. Um, I encourage uh, my, my uh, 14 listeners to do the same. And um, you know, Scott, um, we've circled each other on Twitter uh, for a couple of years. It's just fantastic to have you on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time to do it. Thank you so much. And if you have any other work and you want to come back, you're always welcome here. All right. Sounds good. All right. Um, Eric, thank you as always. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Run to Daylight podcast. I'm your host, Todd Burrows. You can find me on Twitter at Todd from PA, but you probably know that. Eric N. Moody is the co-host. Next week, I'm getting my uh, second Pfizer shot on Friday. So um, I think we're going to play it kind of, let's see how I feel. I don't know that I want to schedule something, but Eric, if... uh, if you uh, if you uh, if you don't mind uh, kind of doing like a last minute, let's see what goes on. Uh, we'll we'll see that, and then we'll come back the following week, and we'll have on our rookie expert uh, Shane Hollum to cover the other positions, and I think we'll do an ADP update. Um, I've got a a, a guy uh, Billy Musio, I think, is going to join us, so. Uh, That's going to do it, and uh, thank you all so much. And, uh, Eric, thanks again. Not a problem. Until next time.